Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio. I am extremely excited to be back this week. I am your host, Cheryl Knight, and today we will be talking with a wonderful guest. Her name is Louisa Oakley Green, and she is also known as the Psychic Bystander. Before we welcome Louisa, I would love to talk a little bit about her because her background is absolutely fascinating. Uh, Louisa actually didn't believe in psychic phenomena when she met her husband, Stephen, but now It's been more than 20 years later, and her views have actually changed quite a bit. Her two books in the Psychic Bystander series are titled Loitering at the Gate to Eternity, Memoirs of a Psychic Bystander, and Sightseeing in the Undiscovered Country, Tales Retold by a Psychic Bystander. And those books reflect her journey from skeptic to believer through hundreds of paranormal stories involving her family, as well as everyday people across the United States and around the world. And a little bit about Louise's background. She has worked as a newspaper reporter, a health magazine editor, a public relations manager, advertising copywriter, a humor columnist, a medical writer, and an executive creative director of a digital advertising agency. She is currently a freelance writer. And uh, Louisa graduated from the University of South Carolina School of Journalism, and she has also studied biology, biochemistry, and anatomy in support of her medical writing. She has also spent two years learning how to draw up and interpret traditional astrology charts through the Faculty of Astrological Studies, that's a mouthful, (laughs) in London. Her work and interests maintain a curiosity-inspired balance between science and mysticism. And wow, that's a lot of background. Welcome, Louisa. Well, thank you. It's very nice to be here. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. I know that you have undergone quite a journey over the past, let's see, two decades. And I really was excited that you let us republish or publish one of your articles in a couple issues ago in Paranormal Underground Magazine that talked a little bit about your journey. And it's so intriguing that I'm, I really wanted you to, to join us here on the show and let our listeners know about how you came to be a believer in the paranormal through your own personal experiences, as well as researching and listening to others. Tell it just, you know, I gave a, a bit of a big background right there, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll, we'll talk about your, your journey. Sure. Um, I, I grew up in an environment uh, where anything regarding psychic or paranormal was considered medieval superstition and laughed at and so um i guess you could say that i i had a very closed mind and a mm. bad attitude okay uh, <laughs> and i i like to tell the story of how i met my husband because it really illustrates the differences between how psychic people or people who at least are tuned into the paranormal view the world versus people who really are not psychic and really are mm-hmm. not tuned in right um to to uh, appreciate the story, I first have to explain something uh, from physics, and um, I'm sure a lot of your your listeners are, are familiar with this. Um, they've found in physics that every human being, every creature, everything on this earth has its own electromagnetic vibrational signature. 
and uh, it's almost like a an energetic fingerprint. Mm-hmm. And there are some psychics who can actually pick up on that. And um, my husband, Stephen, is one of them. So understanding that helps with the background and the story. Um, now, I've gone back and forth throughout my life between being a full-time writer for a company or you know a publication and being freelance. So on one of my freelance uh, periods, I had a client who asked me to interview a psychic. And uh, I kind of rolled my eyes and said, oh, boy, <laughs> you know, well, okay, yeah. I'll just go, you know, interview this nut. I mean, I didn't say that to my client, but that's what I was right. thinking. So uh, I went to this psychic, and uh, she turned out to be a very intelligent, delightful, and rational human being, uh, nothing like I had imagined. And uh, I interviewed her, and toward the end of the interview, of course, some of my bad attitude came out. Mm. <laughs> and I said, well hey, if you're psychic, can you tell me who I'm going to marry? <laughs> and she just kind of sat back and she smiled at me. And she said, well, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, I run a psychic development class one night a week. Why don't you come out at some point when you feel ready? And I went, okay, fine. And, you know, I, I wrote up the story and I'm thinking, well, that was an evasive answer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't tell me anything. Um, and then for some reason I just forgot about it for about a year. And then it just kind of came back up in my memory that she'd made this invitation and I was bored and I decided, well, you know what, uh, one has to be open-minded. I'll, I'll just go check it out. So I show up at her doorstep and she answers the door and she, she completely remembers me, which is surprising because we had only met once a year before for an hour while I interviewed her. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty impressed that she had a, such a good memory. And uh, I came into the class, and uh, she had regulars, and so she started introducing me to everyone, and I started shaking hands and forgetting names just as they were told to me (laughs) because there were too many people there. Mm -hmm. And um, it turned out to be a really uh, surprisingly fun and interesting class, so much so that I decided, you know, I think I'm going to come back next week. This This was pretty cool. And that was kind of all I got out of that evening, you know, being like totally not psychic. <laughs> but one of the people <laughs> whose hands I shook that evening was my future husband, Stephen. And uh, after class, he basically raced home and announced to his parents, I've met the woman I'm going to marry. <laughs> now, <Wow>. I'd hardly <laughs> spoken to him that evening. So you might wonder, how would he know something like that? Mm-hmm. Well, how he knew was that when he shakes people's hands, he usually gets... Um, like a spike in energy between his vibrational rate and the rate of the person whose hand he's shaking. Okay. And that, I mean, that's just always the case. It's like Mm -hmm. a difference because everyone has their own sort of signature. And when he shook my hand, he didn't feel any difference at all in our energy. And so in his mind, that meant we were soulmates and that we would someday marry. Wow. And, you know, fortunately, he didn't tell me that right away. (laughs) If he had, I probably would have run in the other direction and thought, oh, my God, that guy nuts. Right, right. but he didn't, and um, roughly a year later, we ended up getting married. Uh, wow. He kind of just took his time. And <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, but, uh, the, you know, that he would be that perceptive that quickly, mm-hmm. and I just didn't notice anything. And that's that's kind of a theme in our lives, you know. Mm-hmm. He, I continue not to be terribly psychic, and I think part of it is that there's a part of me that says, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and also... Uh, you know, I've, I've, I did a lot of research when I wrote my two books, and one of the things that I noticed when I was reading a book um, written by Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell, 
and she's a neuropsychiatrist who taught at Harvard, Harvard Medical School, actually. Okay. Um, she uh, wrote a book called uh, The ESP Enigma, Scientific Support for um, the Psychic Phenomenon. And she just reviewed studies that she felt were scientifically sound, mm-hmm. you know, not, not the crazy stuff where they run into a house with a voice thing and scare each other, um, <laughs> but like real, real studies that, with a scientific basis. And one of the things that she found was that there tends to be two ways to get psychic ability, and like 95% of the people who are psychic have inherited it. And the reason why you inherit it mm-hmm. um, is that your brain and your nervous system is an energy antenna. And people who are psychic have incredibly sensitive antennas. And um, that tends to be inherited. It's genetic. I was going to ask. Okay. Is and that, so you will find yeah. that if, if somebody's psychic, maybe their grandmother was or maybe their aunt is. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what I mean? It mm-hmm. tends to run in families. Now, the other tiny 5% or so of people who become psychic tend to become psychic through trauma. And hmm. um, I give three examples. Uh, the first one is uh, a gentleman named George Anderson, mm-hmm. who's a psychic medium in mm-hmm. Long Island, and some people are familiar with him and some people are mm-hmm. not. Um, he wrote a book many years ago called We Don't Die, which is yeah. really a cool book. I recommend um, it. Yep. Yeah, I mm-hmm. like that book. Uh, and, you know, part of my research. Um, but he actually was not born psychic. Um, he got... I believe chicken pox and had a really bad reaction to them with uh, his brain swelling and his parents were told that he might not survive. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of bracing themselves for the worst. But, you know, like often happens, this kid just totally survived, didn't seem to have any physical problems, except there was one change. I guess because of the brain swelling, it affected the wiring in his brain. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, he could see dead people as easily as the living. Um, and in fact, I Pretty think amazing. The, yeah. there, was a, there was a book, The Six Sixth Sense or something like that with uh, a young boy who could see dead people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was loosely based on his life. Oh, it was. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Interesting. Um, now, the, the second way that you could become uh, psychic through trauma is uh, there was a, a gentleman named Peter Herkos. He might still be alive. I'm not sure. He's a very famous psychic in the Netherlands. And one day he was working on his roof, and he slipped and fell off a ladder, hit his head, and from that moment on he was psychic. Again, you know, rewiring the uh, the brain and uh, mm-hmm. you know spinal nervous system. And then uh, the third example is an interesting guy, and he's rather well known. Uh, his name is Joseph McMoneagle, and he was with the U.S. Army Intelligence Remote Viewing Unit, uh, which sometimes is called uh, Stargate, and um, he uh, was not psychic until he had a near-death experience. And uh, when he came back, suddenly he had that ability. Mm-hmm. And so the US, he was already in the U.S. military, and so they made use of that because they had a special unit. So uh, I, I found that kind of interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. As far as your husband Stephen is concerned, did he inherit his abilities, or how did he oh, come yes. about? Okay, he, he, it's yeah, a family thing. Yeah, his whole family, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Um, I, you know, his his grandmother came from Italy, mm-hmm. and so when I came to his house and people talked very casually about psychic experiences like it was no big deal, <laughs> I thought, oh, isn't that charming? It's the old world, you know, sort of thing. But, you know, when I wrote my first book and I started interviewing everyone in the family, they had some amazing experiences, and it was, 
you know, really kind of interesting. Um, I, you know, the, the I started off with the, I guess the first third of the, my first book is basically just interviewing everyone in the family because there were so many psychic mm-hmm. people in his family, then friends and then friends of friends. And, um, you know, this, the second book, uh, I actually don't know too many people in. <laughs> they okay. just ended up wanting to be interviewed because they'd read the first book. And um, I, I think the one thing that that struck me in writing those books was uh, how common these experiences are. I had people who I've known all my life. And, you know, if people know that you don't believe in psychic stuff, they will never talk to you. Mm-hmm. About it. And once people realized that I was writing a book about it, suddenly people I've known since I was in grammar school <laughs> were calling me up and saying, let me tell you about my experience. Now, that's, I had no idea. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, and in fact, I had one client who, who called me uh, when I was almost finished with the first book. And he said, so what'd you do this summer? <laughs> he laughed and I said, well, I, I think I wrote a book. And uh, he said, oh, what's it about? And I said, well, um, it's about people's psychic experiences. And, and I thought, oh, you know, he's going to not be too impressed because this was a science uh, client, not mm-hmm. a, you know, this type of thing. And uh, there was a moment of silence on the phone. And, and during that moment, I'm thinking, well, I think I just lost one of my clients. <laughs> and, the, and, and then he said, well, that's how I run my company. I'm psychic. And I went, wow. what? Yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah, oh. I'm psychic. That's how I run my company. So I interviewed him for the book. <laughs> okay. He said, yeah, why don't you interview me? I'll tell you some stories. And, oh, wow, he had some crazy stuff. So um, I just find it interesting that I, I honestly believe mm-hmm. it's much more common than we think it is because people are very reluctant to talk about it. Yeah, and here's what I want to ask you. What about those people who may have been suppressing their psychic abilities until later in life and then opened up to it and they are they are psychic. They have those abilities, but they've they've just opened up to it and now they're there. They're usually kind of scared of it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's been my experience. My yeah, husband okay. has actually talked some people down. <laughs> oh, you know, because he's, he's had okay. this since he was so young that, he, you know, it, it, it's almost beyond his memory. But um, there are people who suddenly realize, you know, in midlife mm-hmm. or, you know, that, oh, my, I have this ability. And it's frightening yeah. because they don't know how to control it. Um, you know, it's not like something natural that they grew up with. It might have been there, but they weren't recognizing it. So more often than not, I, I, unless somebody was has that in their belief system, it it can be pretty scary. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's really interesting because I can imagine it would be very scary in some cases when it's not something that maybe they're into or, or they really, you know, just comes out of the blue, for some reason, they've opened up to it or whatever. But how how does your husband help them deal with that? Does uh, does he recommend any type of meditation? Or what does he what does he recommend for them to deal with those new abilities? He, first of all, he lets them talk because usually people just need to talk to someone because there are so few people you can talk to about this without feeling like you're mm-hmm. a nut. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's really one of the big problems. So he, he listens. And then uh, when he's finished listening, he, he says, okay, fine. There's nothing to worry about. Um, you know, you can protect yourself and you can draw boundaries. You have the right to say when you're, you know, when you will receive okay. uh, information and when you will not. Um, oh. And, you know, it will be respected. You just have to make it clear. And you can also, um, you know, surround yourself with white light. Mm-hmm. And, you I've know, heard of that, yeah. Um, if, if you really are worried, 
he he likes to recommend getting a, an Eye of Horus. For some reason or another, that really just um, offers a lot of protection he's found for himself. Okay. You know, I'm sure everybody... I know that sounds crazy. I'm saying this, and I'm thinking to myself... <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound crazy but, to me, but... <laughs> yeah, well, this is good, because yeah. remember, I, I don't have any ability, and um, and I think that I would really be frightened to have the ability, so maybe that's part of why I don't. Uh, even though I find it absolutely fascinating, I love to write about it, mm-hmm. um, you know, but again, I don't have a lot of experience with it, so it would scare the heck out of me. Would you, now you just, you just answered one of, one of my next questions. You don't have psychic abilities. Do you, would you be interested in, in maybe trying to develop them or no, you're just, that's well, not really... I think you can develop an awareness, but I okay. honestly believe that you are born with the nervous system that you've got. Okay. Um, and it, it's it's like anything else. Uh, not everybody is born with a voice like Barbara Streisand. She was born with that. <laughs> yeah. You can develop what you've got, um, but you can only go as far as your natural talents will take you. You know, um, mm-hmm. I have no desire. Um, and I, and I will say this, um, and I know this from having interviewed so many uh, people for over two hundred stories. Um, people who are very psychic, I'm, I'm not talking about somebody who maybe has like one mi- mystical uh, mm-hmm. experience, which I okay. do have those in the book as well. Okay. But people who like live with this, you know, like every day of the week. Yeah. Uh, they tend to be vulnerable to nervous system problems. Uh, they're more likely to have uh, migraines, fibromyalgia. Several of the people I interviewed had MS. Wow. Uh, one, one person was epileptic. Um, there's be, when you have a very very sensitive nervous system, mm-hmm. um, the downside of that is that it can go haywire because it's mm-hmm. so sensitive. Yeah. So uh, I, it was surprising. I, I ended up asking people when I interviewed them because it became so common. Do you suffer from any type of neurological problem? And there were a huge number who did, and particularly the people who were very very psychic. Um, okay. they just do. And I, I found that kind of interesting and not necessarily something I envy. My husband gets terrible migraines. Um, so, you know, that's, there's a price that's paid sometimes. Okay, you, you just brought up the, the you know, the, the medical conditions and, and, and that kind of thing. And I remember reading a story where your husband had touched Stonehenge, uh, you know, an article there. And, yeah. and it made him very ill. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened there? Yeah, sure. Um, and I can tell you what um, a, uh, a paranormal scientific researcher had to say about it okay. uh, as well. My husband and I decided many, many years ago um, we were going to take a, a trip to England and, and visit all the mystical places in England because mm-hmm. we thought that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those places was Stonehenge. And I guess several months before we went over, he started to have visions. He kept seeing a handprint in stone like an indentation of a handprint in stone. Okay. And um, he didn't know what it meant, and he didn't really give it much thought because he was busy trying to get his work done so we could leave for vacation. Mm -hmm. And uh, so eventually we went over, and um, we got a very special tour that allows you to actually go at sunset and meditate in the middle of the stones because a lot of times they won't let you near them. Mm -hmm. Um, But this guy who, who did the tour is like had connections and so he you know he took our little group in there and so we all sat and meditated inside Stonehenge and then and and you can't imagine how big these stones are the pictures do not do it justice they are huge mm-hmm. uh, i can't even understand how anyone could move them they're just like so huge mm-hmm. um 
And after we were finished with the meditation, we all kind of wandered around, and Steve found this rock, you know, one of the horizontal rocks of Stonehenge, had a handprint in it. Mm. And so, of course, you know, like a kid sticking his tongue on a cold <laughs> pole, um, he stuck his hand into the handprint. And I didn't really pay too much attention. I was just kind of wandering around taking pictures. You know, I have one of those pictures in your magazine. <laughs> yeah. And um, we, we, you know, the guard came by and he said, okay, you guys got to leave now. Uh, you know, s- as soon as the sun sets, nobody can be in here. You know, you got to go. So the tour guide said, okay, we got to go. And Steve was like, I can't. And he was stuck. <laughs> he was stuck in, wow. in the handprint. So a couple <laughs> of people pulled him off and... It was odd, but, you know, I live with odd. And um, we we didn't give it much thought. When we came back home, uh, Steve, well, within a couple of months, became very ill, and he was bedridden. You know, I mean, he was just so sick. His uh, nervous system was just a mess. Um, we didn't really understand what was going on at the time, but when I was researching my first book, which was many, many years later, and by the way, he was sick for quite a while. It took him seven years before he could, he could go back to work. Wow. So that was a, a fa- fairly traumatic event. Yeah. Um, but I found out from talking to a physicist who was doing research on, on people who were psychic that it's not unusual for psychics to get electrically overloaded. Um, and this was probably what happened to Steve. Um, uh, apparently, mm-hmm. you know, the type of energy that he was tapping into overloaded him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may also be part of the reason why a lot of people who are psychic have nervous system problems. They get overloaded. Okay. Well, I've heard of physical mediums where the medium is, you know, they can experience the anything, you know, the, the, the pains of, of the spirit, how they how they passed away, whatever. Is that kind of what happened there? Just more intense? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I just know, know okay. that I, I wish he hadn't stuck his hand there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it really had a profound effect on our lives. I mean... Yeah. Uh, seven years later, he finally, um, you know, got himself together. He's a very determined person, and he determined that he was not going to be sick for the rest of his life. And he actually, he had for a long time fibromyalgia, and he completely oh. beat it. He doesn't have it anymore. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know it could be cured. I don't know if it typically is, but he did a lot of energy work okay. for himself. And he nice. also went to somebody who was an energy worker. And between the two of them, I think that they got rid of it. Wow. So he's in, you know, other than having migraines, he's in pretty good shape. Okay, you you started off as a, as a skeptic. You were a skeptic about psychic abilities. But obviously, after marrying a psychic and living with, with your husband, Stephen, was there one moment that convinced you? Or was it Well, uh, there wasn't everything. one moment. I okay. had to really, you know, get beaten down. Um, there's always going to be a part of me that wants to be a skeptic because it's just so much a part of my background. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's necessarily unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there have been so many different things that have happened over the years. I mean, one of the first ones that made a, a real impression on me happened at my father's funeral. And... Um, that was about, let's see how many, that was a two years, actually, two years after we were married. Basically, I was helping my mother with the funeral arrangements. It's, it's a very upsetting sort of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, you tend to, to make really stupid decisions when you're upset. And one of the yeah. things I did was I, I called the minister from the church where I was raised, you know, because we figured, well, why not call somebody who actually knows my father? Because he hadn't gone yeah. to church 
I don't know when, maybe never. And, um, you know, I hadn't really considered the fact that I hadn't been to that church in 20 years. <laughs> this man was retired. <laughs> he was yeah. in his 80s. Okay. Um, he hadn't done anything in quite a while. But when we called, his wife was so happy that somebody remembered him. Aww. And, um, <laughs> you know, she said, I'll send him down. He'll be so happy. You know, that's yeah. fine. He was a nice gentleman. So um, day of the wake, uh, I, you know, he... Uh, asked everyone to take a seat so he could say a few words. So I sat between my mother and, and my husband, and uh, the minister started to talk, and we all sat there listening. And within five minutes, we realized that he was saying kind of random things and wandering off. And um, it was actually a good thing for me because had he been very moving, I would have fallen to pieces mm. because I was very close to my father. Okay. So the fact that it was so absurd <laughs> really helped a lot. And wow. about 15 minutes into this, um, and we're all sitting there politely because he's such a nice old gentleman. Okay. <laughs> um, my husband leans over and he says, um, I see your father standing next to the minister. He looks very impatient. He's tapping his foot and his arms are crossed. And I, you know, I thought, okay, Steve, um, you know, it's not that I didn't believe him, but it's, it's that that alone would not impress me. But there was something that happened a week later that did. That day, we didn't have time to have conversations with too many people, because basically, you're just people are coming in, you're mm -hmm. saying a few words, and then, you know, they move on. And uh, a week after the funeral, my brother-in-law, Tom, who neither one of us had had a chance to speak to uh, since the funeral... Um, called up and said, Louisa, I didn't want to say anything the day of the funeral, but um, I just thought you might like to know that while the minister was talking, I saw your father standing next to him. He looked really impatient. Uh, he was tapping his foot. His arms were crossed, and uh, I know he wanted that guy to stop. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my gosh. You know, like the fact wow. that the two of them saw exactly the same yeah. thing really blew me away because I know they hadn't spoken to each other. Um, it was just kind of a, one of those moments. Um, and I can't say that that completely converted me, but that began to make me realize that uh, it's important to be open-minded and, you know, mm -hmm. at least uh, entertain the possibility that, that there are things that we, you know, out there that we may not have realized. Right. I want to read a short description and quote about your books. And then I want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, okay. This, this quote actually I got from your website and it, is about your book loitering <laughs> at the gate to eternity and sightseeing in the undiscovered country collectively retell more than 200 true paranormal stories that will lift you out of your everyday existence and open a doorway into a new inspirational way of experiencing life now that i, I want to read a, an actual quote from someone on your website and if i pronounce her name wrong please let me know but the okay. quote is from Conchetta Bertoldi. Oh, yeah. She's a very famous psychic medium. She's actually the psychic medium for the royal family in England. It says here she's the author of Do Dead People Watch You Shower? You bet. <laughs> that is a very good question. I'm sure many people wonder that. Um, <laughs> she, she sent you a quote about your books, and it reads, Get ready to slip on your psychic walking shoes and follow Louisa into the unknown world around us. Ramble through tales of dead relatives who insist on having the last annoying word, ghosts behaving badly, inspiring near-death experiences, and dreams foretelling the future. 
Along the way, you'll find comfort, laughter, and some spine-tingling moments that may have you looking over your shoulder. A great guilty pleasure for those who love reading true paranormal tales. Now, personally for me, my favorite type of paranormal book is one that does include personal experiences from people of all walks of life, whether that be, you know, from a, a police officer, a doctor, a child, you know, a, a business professional. Yeah, yeah I love that. I love that so much. Why did you decide to use that method? Now, you mentioned earlier that a lot of them came to you. Is that how it evolved? Or did you seek some well, of them out as well? I My first book, I actually didn't set out to write a book. Uh, I didn't realize I was writing a book. Um, I decided that it would be nice um, mm-hmm. to write down my husband's experiences just as like a family keepsake. Mm-hmm. And so I interviewed him, and then I realized, well, if I went to interview him, I should probably interview his aunt, and then there's stories of his grandmother, and, like, if it's going to be a family heirloom, let's get everybody in it. Yeah. And then they started referring me, as I'm interviewing them, to other members of the family who I didn't even know, and then I started getting referrals uh, to friends, and my friends who found out I was writing this book suddenly opened up and started telling me stories. People who had no idea had these experiences. And then they were referring people. And by the time I was finished, I had a book. So I thought, well, this is not just a family heirloom anymore. This is uh, a cross-section of the bedrock of our society. These are not nuts. These are like sane human beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they're, you know, lawyers and and managers and, and nurses and teachers. And I mean, People you meet on the street, you know, they not not your stereotype of someone who would have a mystical experience. But it fascinated me that there were so many mystical experiences out there and they seemed to be so common. I mean, like it wasn't hard. My my second book, when I when I um, went on book signings uh, for the first one, everybody just handed me their name and phone number and said, call me, mm-hmm. <laughs> call me when you write your second book. And I went, oh. I hadn't thought about writing a second book. Well, maybe I should. And I had a couple of friends who called me up and said, why didn't you include me in your first book? And I said, well, I had ah. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, you know, I thought, well, all right, I'll write the second book. <laughs> and okay. I also had somebody as far away. I have a lot of people from England in, in these books as well. And, and one gentleman who's a Maori from New Zealand, and he was fascinating. He was, like, just so different from everyone that, um, he, he kind of blew me away. He's, okay. They just have an entirely different way of looking at life. Out of all of the stories, well, actually, let's stop right there. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I have a couple questions about some of the people that you talk to and and the stories that they told you about their, their psychic experiences or paranormal experiences. All righty, you are listening to Paranormal Underground Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, 
on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. Close Encounters of the Christ Kind Science fiction author Douglas Brody retells the life of Jesus according to ancient alien theory. As the Bible's angels are revealed to be extraterrestrials, beamed down to create a hybrid golden child who may just change the history of humankind for the better if another visitor from a far planet named Satan doesn't arrive first. The Planet Jesus Trilogy, Book 1, Flesh and Blood. For full background material and ordering information, visit planetjesustrilogy.com where the New Testament meets the Twilight Zone. The Crusaders are commonly thought to have been motivated by their deep Christian faith. Crusades were actually war-inspired by the average of medieval ecclesial leaders who were only searching for total power and control. Well-played mind games which spoke about demonic forces, witchcraft and deadly possessions Many Europeans gave into their fears and banned the truth of an ancient and earthly civilization from their daily lives. It became an unknown world, not seen by the naked eye but capable of possessing your soul and in the worst case even kills you. In order to keep the people away from the truth, it had to be feared forever. Restoring the voice of our people, we give back what once was stolen from you. Your freedom and thinking, creating, and believing. The Source of Immortality, written by Maria Anna van Driel, www.amazon.com. Hey, are you looking for a new paranormal podcast? Check out All Day Paranormal with me, Crystal Vermis. And me, Manny Vega. We come to you every week with the latest in supernatural news and entertainment. That's right, and you can find out more by going to getspooked.net. And don't forget to check out our YouTube show by going to getspooked.net slash YouTube. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's Author Karen K A R E N Fraser F R A Z I E R dot com. And we are back on Paranormal Underground Radio. We are talking with the psychic bystander, Louisa Oakley Green. Thank you again for joining us today. This is really interesting. I my pleasure. I just I, I love talking about this stuff and hearing about all of these different experiences. Of before the break, we were talking about a lot of you you interviewed a lot of people for for your second book yes if you'd like i'll share some stories i was just gonna ask you how did you know <laughs> yes <laughs> well, that's, tell that's us the fun part isn't it yes yeah what are some of your, some of the standouts that you that you that still amaze you well, today I'll, I'll tell you a, a couple of interesting stories and then if you think it might uh, be appropriate for your listeners i'll tell you a scary story from england yes um, please but i'll i'll tell okay. that one last okay um now, the, this first story is very interesting to me because, um, you know, it's not uncommon for children to have uh, invisible playmates, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but this, this woman, this just went a lot farther. She and her, her child are very psychic, and so they, they took it, uh, like, a higher level. Um, 
Now, I, I met Christine, and she's an export-import coordinator, uh, when she attended one of my book signings. And uh, she wanted to tell me about something that happened with her daughter. Uh, now, psychic ability runs in Christine's family. Um, her mother, her daughter, and her granddaughter have the ability to sense the dead. Now, uh, when her daughter Marlena was young, um, she was very psychic, and she was also very shy, so she'd, she'd play alone in her bedroom a lot with her dolls. Mm -hmm. And her bedroom was situated so that it was when Marlena came up the stairs, she could look into her daughter's bedroom at the top of the stairs while she was carrying the wash and kind of just look in on her. Um, now, one day... Marlena uh, was playing in her room, and uh, she had basically a tiny little table, a tiny miniature rocking chair, and a little chair. And she was serving tea um, to, uh, you know, whoever was in the rocking chair. And uh, when Marlena came up the stairs, she noticed a, a couple of strange things going on in the room. Uh, first, the rocking chair was rocking by itself. And the second thing was, her daughter handed a Barbie doll to the rocking chair, and it was suspended in the air, as if somebody sitting in the rocking chair was holding it. Wow. Uh, so that kind of disturbed her. She walked across the threshold of the bedroom, and suddenly the doll dropped, and the chair stopped. <laughs> okay. And uh, she asked her daughter, Marlena, who are you giving this doll to? And her daughter replied, Mommy, don't you see? There's a little girl sitting in the chair. <laughs> wow. So this, you know, it's one thing for a, a child to be talking to an imaginary friend. It's another thing to actually see something going on physically. Right. There's a difference. So I, yeah. I thought that was kind of an interesting story. Mm -hmm. um, the next story I have is about somebody's prophetic dream. Uh, this woman is, is very, very psychic. And she is, I'm not sure what this is, but she. I asked her what her... Um, <laughs> what her uh, vocation was, and she said she's a wax specialist. So oh. uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> um, she she um, has a lot of uh, prophetic dreams, and they usually warn her about future events. And even though she's ha she had these dreams uh, for many years, she didn't always take them very seriously. But she had one that caused her to change her mind on, on not listening to her own dreams. Um one night she had a dream, and uh, what she dreamt was that she and her husband were in a, some sort of social club. They were with friends. They were having drinks. And suddenly a man walked into the room with a gun and started shooting. Mm. And everyone ducked under the tables, and she couldn't find her husband, and she started screaming. And uh, she woke up. Her husband woke her up because she was screaming. Okay. And uh, she explained to him, you know, what happened. He said, well, it's just a dream. Don't worry about it. Everything's okay. Um, but as fate might have it, the next night, Linda and her husband went to a club in Philadelphia. And uh, a short time after they were seated, she suddenly turned to her husband and insisted they had to leave. And he was like, well, wait a minute. I just got my beer. Mm -hmm. um, let me just sit here and finish it. And uh, she said, no, we have to go this minute. We have to get out of here now. So uh, a bit disgruntled, <laughs> she and her husband uh, and their two friends walked out. And as they were walking out, they saw two men in the parking lot near the club fighting over a woman. And one of the men just left in anger. A few minutes later, as they were, they were about a block down from the place at, at that point, 
they they began to hear gunshots ring out in the parking lot mm. and saw people stampeding down the street. And basically, she and her husband and friends ran as far away as they could from it. They heard it on the news the next day that the man had left, uh, had gotten angry, had left, and came back with a gun and began shooting. Wow. And um, she doesn't know if anyone was killed, but she does know that from that point on, she really took her dreams very seriously. Yeah, I imagine so. Let's see. I have a bunch of stories here. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, I'm going to tell another quirky one, and then I'm going to tell you a scary one. Okay. All right. Uh, this one is from actually a national radio talk show host, um, and she's extremely psychic. Uh, she told me a story about when she was house hunting. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, homes have their own unique energies and, and quirks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, real estate agents hear some fairly strange explanations from clients on why they like or dislike a house, and uh, Barb may have topped them all. Uh, she had just gotten divorced, and a real estate agent was taking her out uh, to look for a smaller home closer to town. And one home she considered was a single-story, cream-colored, craftsman-style home. While she didn't end up buying the house, she did have a memorable experience there. After walking through the kitchen and great room, she told the agent she really liked the house. The only thing she couldn't understand was why all the electrical outlets were higher on the wall than normal. And at that point, the agent had to take a phone call and suggested she just look at the rest of the house, you know, by herself while he was on the phone. So she wandered into the master bedroom, and she was very startled. She saw a man sitting in a wheelchair. Uh, he was balding. He wore wireframe glasses and looked to be about in his 60s. And she said he seemed very sweet, and he had this lovely smile. Uh, and she apologized profusely for invading his privacy. She was like really embarrassed that she walked in on this man and he said oh don't worry and he introduced himself and explained he was the owner of the house um he introduced himself and explained he was the owner of the house and then he proceeded to tell her about the history of the house as well as about his dog and his family and finally smiling he added you're a lovely person with great energy i would love for you to buy the house now suddenly uh, barb sensed the real estate agent in the doorway behind her and turned to face him the agent asked who she was talking with, and when Barb turned back to point out the owner, he was gone. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> the agent stared at her wide-eyed as she explained that the owner had told her the electrical outlets were higher on the walls so he could reach them in his wheelchair. She says, I told the real estate agent the man's name and what we talked about. He grabbed my arm and pulled me out of the house and said firmly, don't ever do that again. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> the person Barb had described and all the details from their conversation were accurate. The only problem was the owner had died six months prior, oh. and it was his family who had put the house on the market. Okay, that's a good one. That's, that's that a good one. Cute. Yeah. Okay, the st- the scary story from England. Uh, oh, I'm home it's, alone. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, Go ahead. Well, that's okay. This happened in England. It's not okay. going to affect you. Woo. <laughs> um, this young lady, I have several very scary stories from her. She's been psychic all her life. Okay. And um, things that... These things don't phase her. They would scare, you know, me a lot. Okay. <laughs> but uh, she seems to be able to deal with a lot without um, getting upset. Uh, so her name is Lee, um, and she's from northern England, um, a place called Tunstall, which is south of Manchester. And uh, when she was 16, her family moved to uh, an old home in, uh, in that town. And uh, when they moved in, uh, 
they decided to put all of their storage in the basement, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Um, but she told her parents as they were, uh, you know, unloading all the boxes in the cellar that she had a bad feeling about the space. So, you know, her parents humoring her said, don't worry, you're never going to have to go into the basement. And so, you know, that kind of put her at rest for that. Uh, but one day um, she actually did end up being sent down there anyway by her okay. younger brother. Um, they were playing a game called Truth or Dare. Mm-hmm. And her brother said, I dare you to go down to the basement and no flashlight allowed. Mm. So, of course, what are you going to do? You're not going to back down when your siblings <laughs> says right. like that. Yeah. So she decided she was going to do it. So uh, she went down into the cellar, and she noticed, despite the lack of lighting, that there was a dark figure sitting on one of the boxes. She, she screamed <laughs> and raced back up the steps, which is exactly what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she said to her brother, there's someone in the basement. I don't want to go down there again. And her brother got a flashlight, like, oh, sure, there's someone down in the basement. And he went down into the basement, and he saw nothing. After that, Lee avoided the basement as best she could. However, uh, her parents, unaware of the apparition she had seen, because she didn't share that with them, asked her one day to retrieve something from storage. Uh, they wanted her to get a punch bowl because they were going to have a social event and uh, you know they stored it downstairs because that's pretty much the only time you'd use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't really want to go down into the cellar but she figured well I'll just do it quickly. Uh, so she went down into the basement and she saw the figure again with a woman in his arms and this woman looked dead. He laid her on the floor and started digging a hole. Mm. Uh, she basically grabbed the punch bowl and ran upstairs and didn't say anything to her parents still. But she decided in her 16-year-old mind that the way she was going to deal with it was that she was going to make sure that the basement basement door was tightly shut that evening uh, and she was just never going to go back down there again. Well, later that night, she heard a scratching noise in the house that made her jump. She went over to the basement door and found it open. When she looked at the door and walls, there were scratch marks everywhere. You know, what's causing that, she thought. And then her brother saw the scratch marks all over the door and went down and saw someone in the basement. And now, finally, he believed her. They both tried to talk to their parents about it, but in the, in the very British uh, vernacular, she said, but they would have none of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and, and this is not, I don't know how she found the courage to do this, but, um, you know, and I wouldn't recommend it to your listeners, but... One afternoon, when she was alone in the house, she decided to communicate with the entity in the basement with a Ouija board. Okay, we mm-hmm. don't use Ouija boards, <laughs> but mm-hmm. she was 16. Right. Um, she said, whoever's in the basement, tell me your name. And it spelled out the name Mark. So she went to the library to read old newspapers to determine if someone named Mark had ever lived in her, her house. And what she found was that there was a man named Mark Thomas who lived there in 1917. He brutally murdered his girlfriend and buried her in the basement. She saw a photo of the girlfriend, and she looked eerily like herself. Wow. So it might be that whoever that, you know, whatever spirit was there, because she looked so much like the girlfriend, Uh you know, was somehow interested in her. Oh, wow. That is freaky. Interesting. And you said she had a lot of, lot of uh, interesting... she has a lot of scary stories scary. in my okay. second book. Yeah, um, she just every every story I interviewed. Uh, some people have variety in their stories. Mm-hmm. Every single was one scary. was like really scary, and I'm like, holy cow! 
And she wasn't scared of it. Like something like this would scare me, but she just was curious. Yeah, it seems like she may have gotten used to those kind of things. Yeah, and I, okay. I guess on some level she feels that they cannot harm her. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if that's that's good because mm -hmm. if you do get frightened, then you kind of create a lot of your own problems. Right. Yeah, good point. Well, that's interesting. And I'm sure you have a ton more cool stories uh, in your book. So I encourage our listeners to check it out. Before we before we let them know where they can find find your books, where they can get them. I want to ask you another question about, well, let me just ask, as a journalist, it does seem like for you, it would be a natural progression that you would eventually write about your experiences as a skeptic term believer. Did you have any hesitation in writing about them? And have you had any negative feedback afterwards, or has it all been positive? Um, I haven't had a lot of negative feedback. Uh, I mean, I, I there was one radio show I went on where I got some negative feedback. Oh. I didn't realize that he was inviting me on so that he could, um, you know, uh, rip everything. Really? Oh, but, wow. Um, okay. I fortunately, I you know, it didn't bother me so much because Good. I guess okay. he was thinking that I would be offended. But mm -hmm. when he started, you know, he started off with, with the phrase, why should any of us believe this? And my response was, you shouldn't. I mean, <laughs> people should believe whatever they want to or not want to because no one can tell you what to believe. And exactly. my, you know, my feeling is that if you haven't experienced something mm -hmm. psychic or paranormal in your life or someone you know and trust hasn't experienced it, there's no reason for you to believe in it. It's total fiction. But if you have experienced it, then that really changes your viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think anyone should have to believe or not believe in anything, whatever makes sense to you based on your personal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Because like you said, I think the personal experience is what turns it around for a lot of people who may have not believed it was even possible before they had their own experience. It definitely changed my worldview. Um, you know, I, I just really think that anything's possible. And, and that's actually kind of a um, a more interesting way of approaching life anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to uh, ask you where our listeners can find out more about you online, social media, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. Um, I have a website. It's uh, www.psychicbystander.com. And I have uh, information about both books, and you can order it uh, there. Actually, if you click on it, it sends you to Amazon, which they're both, you know, for sale on Amazon. They're also uh, for sale at Barnes and Nobles. And uh, trying to think of it, you can buy it directly from the publisher. Or okay. Cheaper, cheaper if you get it from Amazon. <laughs> right. Um, or you can order it through a local bookstore. Um, you know that it's sold by all the distributors. So okay, it's not you know they're they're very easy to get a hold of if you want. Right. Okay. Well, good. Well, I encourage our listeners to pick up both of your books, and they are called "Loitering at the Gate to Eternity" and "Sightseeing in the Undiscovered Country." So thanks again, and I hope you join us in the future. Do you have I would be delighted? Do you have any plans to publish any more? Well, uh, eventually I'd like to write a third book, but okay. I decided to take a little bit of a break so that I can get a graduate degree. So I'm, I'm working on a graduate degree. <laughs> well, congratulations. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. All right. Thank you for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio. Please stay tuned for our correspondent segments coming up next. Hi, this is Marianne van Driel, Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark Correspondent, live from Germany. Nicolas Poussin, 
did he held the key to another dimension and did he possess the knowledge of how to unlock the passage to a dormant world. Do you know why ghosts, uh, entities, demons, uh, or whatever that you call them, uh, have so many difficulties to manifestate or are very rarely uh, being captured by camera? It's because they are walking the frequencies of the UV light and UV light needs uh, extreme lot of energy um, to make itself visible. That's the reason why we have less blue light and more red light in the world. Now, what if Poussin, like Da Vinci also, was talking about different kind of dimensions um, which can be visible um, after applying a certain kind of uh, frequencies to certain kind of materials uh, materials containing a crystallization who have the ability of uh, recording and replaying and those frequencies in sonar or radar for instance um, can create um, an effect in a plasma energy. That could mean that Stonehenge was used to create um, this kind of plasma energy, which was not only visible by, um, by the naked eye, but could also be experienced inside somebody's brain, meaning time travel, or hallucinations, or visions, whatever you may call it. So if Poussin was right about this way of using frequencies, mechanical controlled ones, and everything contains these frequencies as in uh, infrasound or ultrasound or UV particles that could mean that during a paranormal investigation we are not looking back to the past but maybe we are looking at a parallel world that is happening right now, right here, only in a different frequency. So, if this is possible, that certain kind of frequencies um, can make a parallel world visible for us or for a camera, we shouldn't ask the questions of what it is, we should ask the question where it is. And even the question of who are we recording? Is it really from the past? Are those images um, from deceased people? Or are these images from living people? 
only in a parallel world. Now the scariest question you have to ask yourself. Who is investigating who? Are they investigating us? Or are we investigating them? If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net.